It's fitting that we sing just before we talk about the Beatitudes again, the words of Jesus Christ on that mountain, uh, to humble ourselves, because that's really where it all begins for the Christian, to humble ourselves before God, to be those that are poor in spirit. Now, let's pray to the Lord again and ask for his blessing as we look into his word uh, and the words that he has that are very, very relevant to the day that we live in. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for the humility that you can give us to be humble before you, to take that what you have for us and to not think so highly of ourselves or to believe that we have the answers within ourselves or are capable of, and in any way, coming up with a righteousness that would allow us to stand before you. Father, I ask right now that you'll give us wisdom and insight into your word. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Convict us, Father, where we need conviction. Uh, Instruct us where we need instruction. But Lord, I pray at the end of the day that your church will be a church of peacemakers, that we will in no way contribute to what's going on in the violence that we see around us, but that we will be people who bring your gospel message from a pure heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, the Beatitudes, the DNA of the church, what we're made of, what God wrote on our hearts when we came to know Jesus Christ. Uh, It's not aspirational in the sense that we got to do these things for God to like us or somehow earn merit with him. This is what the expectations are. This is what is to be true to one degree or another of a child of God. And as we've been looking at them, and if you're like me, you look at some of them and say, well, I see a few marks of those, but I see a lot more room for improvement. I see things where God can work his kingdom message into my heart, and hopefully you've seen the same thing. Our our family's right now waiting on the results of Ancestry.com or wherever it is that Sammy sent our stuff away to, uh, to find out all about us. What is it, we're, what's been written on us? You know, I'm, I, I'm hoping I'm human. That's my biggest thing. I really want to have proof in case anyone ever asked. Uh, but th- that idea of what is it that is in us? What's behind us? Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, we've read. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that righteousness then produces some of these other beatitudes. We've looked at blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I want to just review that one again, because unless you get that one down, you will not be able to do the next beatitude, which are blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall, excuse me, for blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And in doing that, a couple of verses that we looked at, one is the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. That idea of singleness is what is behind the pure in heart. It's not just that they're good and nice. It's that they have a singleness of mind they have a banner that they've chosen to live under. And that banner waves high above all their opinions, all their ideas, and everything else that might clamor for attention. Uh, Today, you don't have to talk to very many people. And in a short time, you know what their banner is. 
you know what they're walking under, what they're running under, because they're waving it real high. And you hear people today who are polarizing and dividing in our country because of the banner that they believe will bring peace, will bring answers to life. The pure in heart believe that Jesus Christ is the answer for the world, and therefore that banner is high above any other banner that they could ever foist. We saw in Psalm chapter 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's the same principle of the pure heart. Unite my heart. Bring all of those uh, different places in my heart that go in wrong directions, that, that uh, fly wrong banners. Bring it all together. Help me to get rid of the junk so that there's a united heart that I have before you. This has to be true as well as the other Beatitudes because they seem to go in line with each other and create a, a inertia almost of movement to help a heart get to be everything God has called it to be. So as the pure in heart wave this one banner, they bring all of their heart together so that it's not divided pursuing different things, different places. We had looked at Psalm 73 and in that, there was a man named Asaph who lost his pure heart. He lost his banner. He looked around. He was comparing different things, different places. And it was distressing him to see how the wicked prospered. And those that didn't want to have anything to do with God seemed to be on the top of the heap. And he's like, I, I don't like that. That doesn't make sense. They shouldn't be there. And his heart got divided in, in his devotion to God. All of a sudden, he's frustrated. He's full of anxiety. And he's looking all different places. And, and he said, truly, God is good to Israel, to those pure in heart. But as for me, and he spends a lot of time saying, I, I wasn't there. I didn't have a heart completely, purely devoted to God. But at the end of it, he took a walk with Jesus. And as he walked down the beach, Jesus kind of showed him what he was all about. And he said, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Even when Asaph was, was AWOL, when he was heading in the wrong direction with a divided heart, Jesus is with him. He's continually there. He says, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's the single heart. That's when he got it back, when he saw Jesus. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. And we read at the end of last week that for the, those are the people, the pure in heart, that see God in everything. They see him in creation. They see him in the good days. They see him at work even in the hard days. In the evil that's happening, they're realizing that he's a God that's out there redeeming that evil and that somehow out of it, he will bring glory to himself so they will see God. Today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The Bible speaks to peace almost 400 times. When a subject comes up that often, um, you know you need to pay attention. Perhaps you have a list of things you need to do around the house. And a reminder comes up every now and then. Um, did you do this yet? Did you do this yet? And, and after a while, you think, well, I've heard it maybe like 10 times now, maybe twice a day for this whole week. It's probably important. 
Well, if you got your reminder for your to-do list 400 times, you would get the idea that this has got to be a priority. This is something that really needs to happen. And in our world, the subject of peace has always been at the forefront of history. But if you look at the history of the world, or even the history of the church, you're going to see that our track record on peace hasn't really been that good. Uh, man has come up with all different ideas and ways to achieve peace. But if you look at history and you look at the world around us, we've not ever really achieved a true lasting peace. You look at families, you look at people, whenever they're together, it seems like peace is fragile, that it may not last long. As long as we all agree and we're all doing the same thing, it's kind of peaceful. But just wait until somebody crosses the line or somebody disagrees or somebody fails somebody else. All of a sudden, tension comes in and peace can sort of go out the window. I don't know if you remember back in 1928. Warren, do you remember 1928? Is that something? Just before Warren, so it gives you a perspective. There was this peace initiative, and there's many different peace initiatives that are out there, called the Kellogg Pact. And it was a declaration where everyone got together and decided to outlaw war. This was just before World War II. Uh, it, it didn't work very well. Because who is going to enforce that kind of agreement that we won't let war happen anymore? Well, it won't happen until the person who has the most power gets crossed and things go wrong. It just fails and doesn't work. So as we talk about peace, we've got to realize that there's a few problems with humanity trying to establish peace. So the first one is, for most of the time, it's usually peace on my terms, according to my thinking. So it's okay, I will be at peace with you as long as you agree with me, as long as you don't cross my agenda. But when you do, depending upon how strongly I believe in something, or how my own personal agenda is so important to me and you crossed it, then all of a sudden, peace becomes fleeting. Because usually there's something that we hold onto tight enough that we realize if this is taken away or this is somehow compromised, I will become angry. I will become boisterous. I will lash out. I will do this because this other person has crossed this line that I've drawn in the sand. Peace goes out the window. And the other problem that comes in is the natural heart is void of peace. If you remember the word natural in the Bible, uh, doesn't have to do with Dan and yogurt, uh, the natural way of eating or something like that. It's the natural way I was born without God. So that in my heart, just the way I am, there is no peace inside. I am born at war. I'm born at war with God. And even as a child, I might not show it right away. But if you watch little children, you begin to see that old sin nature. The, no, I want this, and the tantrums that come along. That, that if the true peace of God isn't something that is in the heart of anyone when they are born. We read in Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. You see, our hearts aren't these empty slates, and the, and the world just kind of determines what our heart will be like. Our hearts come filled with everything but peace, with all of the things in the list there. Those are what will eventually come out of the heart of a person as they grow older, unless something enters and brings peace to their heart. It has been said by somebody that the heart of every problem is the problem with the heart. That is the bottom line. That is why the church's message is so important. This is why peacemaking is so important, specifically at this time in history, this place where we find ourselves. Because people have all kinds of ideas about what will solve the, the problems in Washington, what will make for peace in this world. But God has said in his word, out of the heart of man, peace will never come. There isn't any idea, there isn't any solution that a person has in this world, if enacted, will produce peace in the hearts of men. Because the kind of peace we need isn't human. It's something that God has to be able to give to us. One of the key principles that underlines all of peacemaking is this phrase right here. People are at war with each other because they are at war with themselves. People are at war with themselves because they are at war with God. Let that one soak in. That is the problem in the United States. That is the problem in Germany. That is the problem in China. That is the problem in the far reaches of anywhere you could think of. People are at war with themselves. Therefore, they are at war with God. That is why I feel I've been called to be a minister of the gospel, to preach the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. That is why I don't take political positions. I take positions on the word of God and how it applies to morality. But I don't ever want to be caught up in an ideology or, or be aligned with a political group that says, this is where peace comes from. This is what does it, because that's not the answer. There is an answer in the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings peace. Any other option won't do it, won't cut it. That's why without Jesus Christ, the world has no hope. There, isn't, there might be times where a strong government come in and certain ideologies and make it sort of peaceful. It's only a matter of time before the hearts of man show what they truly are. And the fact that no external law, no external group will ever create peace of heart inside. The Bible says throughout history and as the end times come, there will be wars. And it doesn't say, and seasons of peace. Now, there's going to be wars and rumors of war because the hearts of man will exalt itself 
And in doing so, peace will never come about. It'll just be war after war after war. So I have a little diagram that kind of explains how this all fits into peacemaking. It's probably a bit simplistic, but it's where my mind goes when I look at the world around us and all the peacekeeping efforts and so forth. So if you have your notes, you'll see it's on there. But you see these little people here. That, that's you, if you can see your resemblance there. Uh, if This represents all of mankind or the people among us. And if you're in tune to online games, there was a joke just then. Uh, this is us. And as we live in this world, we function. We all aspire and want peace that is in the heart of mankind. We want peace. We want things to be good. We want them to be right. The problem is, as I've already read, it comes from a dark heart, a heart that is full of sin. So as we look at ourselves and pursue that, mankind by himself is going to look at solutions under the sun, to borrow a phrase from Ecclesiastes. In other words, looking to ourselves, what will people do or people try in order to get peace? So as they do it, there's all of these ideas, and this is the little idea cloud here. You all have, all of us have ideas of if they would just do this, if this would just happen, this is what we'll make for peace. This is how it will come about. There's ideologies. People have philosophies, preferences, opinions, the, their way they understand things. And they will clamor to those in an effort to establish peace. But as they do this, God is conspicuously absent from the process. These are under the sun solutions. So based upon what I think and what I see right now, this is what makes sense to me. But then you have little person number two says, well, you really? I think you're stupid. That doesn't make sense. This is what makes sense. And I like this philosophy better. And then it goes on and on. And in our own understanding, we look at the problem of peace and we say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. You've got to look at it this way because I look at it this way. And my banner of myself flies so high that my opinion should carry the day. And if you don't agree with me, you are stupid. If you don't agree with me, you should take the next bus out of this country because my idea should rule the day. So what happens is, if you see the little brackets all of a sudden, we start to find the people who agree with us because after all, if I think this way, it must be right because it's me thinking this way. In fact, when I look at group number two, I can't even understand them. I can't see how they get to their conclusion and think that the way they do. So all of a sudden, we've got little clubs or parties or groups of people putting their stock in all of those items, their particular slant on them and they foist it up, and they say, this is what it is, and if you're not with me, you're against me. Now, isn't that a great way to pursue peace? I mean, it, but that's what happens, and people are so lacking peace in their hearts that their attempt to it even puts them a step lower than when they first started their pursuit of peace, because they're just joining in groups and, and clubs, and it's easy to get along with people who agree with you. Amen? 
If everyone does what I say, it's easy to get along with them. But what happens in the church of Jesus Christ when the person sitting next to me, and there's not a lot of you here, so you're going to just, the person across the room, the person somewhere else disagrees with me pretty violently. Not violent in punching, but I mean, in their heart, they feel strongly in a different way. And we're both supposed to be in the same church together? How does that work? Because doesn't everyone, isn't everyone supposed to agree all the time and that's what, that's the only way to have peace? I would suggest not. I would suggest that the scripture has a banner that is bigger and bolder, that brings people together in the church of Jesus Christ, that is not based upon my opinion of any of that stuff, that that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, it does because there's, there's things that have implications, but in the grand scheme of things, is it really, do these things really rise to the level of dividing over when there's something else out there? that could really bring peace to people's hearts. Enter the gospel of Jesus Christ, his word, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, where it says he tore down the middle wall of partition, making peace possible. There comes a solution that doesn't come under the sun, comes above that line. It comes from heaven and heaven alone. And it comes into this world as the Prince of Peace was born at Christmas. Those good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. A possibility of the darkness being removed. That's the message of the gospel. That's why it's so important that the Church of Jesus Christ doesn't play down here doesn't get in all of these ideology arguments and divisions and say, you know what, I'm only going to associate with people that think the exact same way I do. And those that don't, I'm going to discount them. I'm going to kind of put them on the side. And I just can't even understand where they're coming from. You know what, you don't have to. You haven't been called to understand where they're coming from. You've been called to a peace that passes understanding. And in doing that, the peace of Jesus Christ cleans a heart. There isn't anything else you're going to find anywhere that does that. There isn't any political group. There's no election. There's no philosophy. There's no amount of money. There's no social program that changes a heart of a person. Government was not put in place to change hearts. It controls things. It protects things. But it falls woefully short of getting down inside and giving a person true peace that could result in a peaceful society. Without Jesus Christ and that message, there isn't hope for anyone. All nations of the world who reject God are doomed to wars and rumors of war. The scriptures say, though, as we look at some other verses, that Jesus is praying in the, his high priestly prayer for his church, for his people. He, as the peacemaker, is going to the cross. He will be leaving. So he tells his disciples what their job is supposed to be and how they're supposed to carry themselves. And as he's praying for them, he's praying to the Father, he says, that they may all be one. 
all of them, even if they disagree, even if they don't understand why the person next to them thinks the way they do, that they would all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus is leaving. He is giving his church for all time the marching orders, the way they're supposed to look, and they're supposed to be one, so solidly one, that none of this other stuff rises to the place of division among them. They are supposed to be able to function in unity the way God and Jesus function in unity. Now you think about that. They are perfectly harmonized. And to make this even weightier, the verse goes on to say, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That word so ought to be circled. Why is the unity of the church so important? Because it's that unity that will give a platform for us to bring the gospel message to those around so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Puts a lot on us, doesn't it? We've got quite a weighty job description that the unity of the church is there so that when people look at it, they will believe and know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Wow. Yet, we, we live down here. We divide. I think this way. I think that way. You, and you know it as well as I do. You know that there's people when they come in the room, Christians, that you're like, oh my goodness, I hope this subject doesn't come up. I hope they don't talk about this. And, and, it, and you get kind of like a knot inside. Well, the believer, when they walk into a room, it should brighten it. It should be a safe peaceful thing. Oh, look, someone says here, no agendas, no banners that precede you that are negative so that you walk into the room or when you leave the room, people shouldn't say, oh my goodness, I'm glad that's over. If I hear one more thing about politics, I'm going to throw up or whatever it might be. If I hear one more thing about that and they're off on this theory and they're believing in that and they just want to make everyone hear it and they will spout off, you know, and, and you hear it happens when you come into the room, they'll something will come up and they'll say, well, don't get me started because they're so wound up with all this stuff that Jesus Christ is somehow pushed to the back and they've got ideologies that they think will make for peace. And when they leave the room, think it was more peaceful than when they came in? Absolutely not. Our understanding and clinging to it and foisting it up does not make for peace, nor will it ever. And here's the problem. When we lose the unity at the top, we lose our platform. May it never be that the church of Jesus Christ is so much living down here like a club, because they all agree, that they learn how to live as a church in places where we disagree, and maybe even strongly so, because the true message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there is no other message you could ever proclaim that will light a candle to that. It is the message, it is the solution, it is the only answer for the mayhem in Washington or the mayhem in a house. 
It is the only thing. So the minute we do this, we take credibility away. We take the voice away from the only thing that could really solve the problem, and we become part of it ourselves. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And I know there's no way I'm going to get through everything I have today, so we're going to have to have some of this next week. But as we look at peace, the pure in heart, that whole beatitude comes right back up. That there is no way I could ever be a peacemaker that rises above all the division around us and lives in the unity that the church is supposed to if I have other banners that I cling to so tightly or feel that I have to proclaim or if I insist that everyone else agree with me for me to like them or even be happy with them. There needs to be a higher banner. The pure in heart say, this message of the church, this message of Jesus Christ, this will be my banner. I will march under it. And as I do that, these things all in here mean much less. They have a place. They have importance. And as Christians, I'm not saying we just retreat from the world and, and don't vote and don't, don't get into the issues of morality that we see. We do that. But we do it at, from the vantage point of the church, not bickering ideologies that the rest of the world has to follow. So as the practice of peacemaking, a couple things to keep in mind, and I'd like to read a couple verses, because this really puts the um, responsibility on the church to be the church and brings a certain gravity to what Jesus Christ called us to as he left. The first verse says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, underline that word, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That word reconcile is the exact same verb as peacemaking in Matthew chapter 5. So that Jesus, as he was here, was peacemaking through the cross. He was giving the answer to the world's issues. He was giving what the world needed to embrace in order to find peace, because that's what he did through the blood of the cross. He made peace. Basically, he's saying, I'm your mentor. I am the one establishing the path for you to walk down. Second verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Jesus saying, I came to reconcile, to be the peacemaker through the cross. The work that he did gave meat to the answer. It caused it to happen. But as he leaves, he says, by the way, the divine work I was doing, it's your turn now. You have that ministry of reconciliation. If the church could see that with its gravity and in all sincerity, 
and understand that is my role here to bring reconciliation through the message of reconciliation, all the divisions would melt away because we would all agree on the answer. There is one way, there's one possibility, and nothing else will cut it. So it's stupid. I don't have my picture there anymore. It's stupid to divide. Did I say stupid? I'm sorry. can't say that in a sermon. It doesn't make sense to go to one of those other things and divide when we've all agreed what the real answer is. Why step down? Why get involved in arguments and disputes and leave all frustrated because they thought this and they thought that when we as the church should have that banner so bold and so high and that the ministry of reconciliation, when I walk out of my house in the morning, I say, my mentor, the peacemaker, wrote that on my heart. He said, that's your job. When you walk to work and you know that there's Republicans, Democrats, and Democrats, and Herocrats, and, and all these things, I have a ministry of reconciliation. I have a ministry of peacemaking through the blood of the cross, and I will not step down from that for any person, for any reason, because their answers aren't going to cut it anyway. We need peace within the church of Christ. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word eager there has the idea of, of exerting effort, making a plan, executing the plan. Because church unity is as fragile as anything you could imagine. It doesn't take much for peace to leave the body of Christ. That's why Jesus says here, when you want to walk, walk worthy of what you've been called to, you've got to be eager. You've got to be eager to maintain, and that word maintain is that which you've already been given and you have. So Jesus is saying, you've been given peace. You've experienced that. Now if you want to be a worthy person that is worthy of your calling, you need to be eager to keep it. You need to put the plan in place to execute peace among the brethren. You need to be able to uh, uh, pursue it with vigilance, that kind of a peace. And we're not talking about peace at any price. There are some people there who, oh, I've got no opinion because I just don't like to fight with people. And, and they really do, but they just never voice it. We're not talking about appeasing others. We're talking about a kind of peace that comes from God and his message. It's, it's a person who points to the message in the gospel and lives that message out. It's not peace at any price, because the Bible even says, when you declare my word, not everyone's going to like it. In fact, it says that when Jesus, and this seems almost contradictory when he came, he said, you know, when I came, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. What he was saying is, yeah, he did come to bring peace, but that message that he's bringing is going to cause division. And sometimes even with families, there's going to be people who name the name of Jesus Christ and because of that dedication, and because of that decision, 
a world that has no peace in their hearts will reject that. But Jesus is saying to us, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And if there's ever an offense that's given that breaks the peace, may it be because of the message, not the messenger. May it not be because I acted like an idiot. May it not be because I foisted my own opinion. If there ever is a problem where people reject me or, or speak ill of me, and we're going to see that as we get done the rest of the Beatitudes, if there's ever a cause for that, may it be the gospel message that caused the offense and not the messenger. Jesus, it said of him, when he came unto his own, his own received him not. They rejected him as the prince of peace. A peacemaker does all they can to produce peace and to maintain it. They are not a pot stirrer. Now, some people, I know you, you are pot stirrers, but it's in a fun way. It's in a way where you just like to get others going, and, it, and I'm not talking about that kind of pot stirrer. I'm call, talking about the kind that gets in and under the skin of other people who foist opinions and make their, their ideas king or queen, that you must think this way. They stir the pot in a very negative way. And when they leave the room, there is not goodwill left behind, but knots in stomachs. And when they enter a room, people are on edge. May there be a kind of peace about us that when we are in contact with others, bring a calming influence, that they're not doubtful of our love for them. Even if their opinion, their idea is very, very different from ours. Christian unity is not based upon my ability to understand and agree with the person sitting next to me. That's huge. Because the agreement may be very, very, very deep. Their positions may be very opposite. And it may be in your mind you will never understand where that person is coming from. And I've had it happen, and I keep going back to politics, but it happens everywhere else. In the same day, I've had people stand before me and say, I don't know how that person can be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump. Afternoon. I don't know how that person can be a Christian and vote for Joe Biden. And I've told you that before. They don't need to understand each other. They don't need to agree with each other. But they do need to have a banner that is so high that those differences do not divide them. That is a church. That is what the church of Jesus Christ does. Not to say political involvement is unimportant. It is to say. That commitment to the gospel is so important that there is nothing that I should ever do to bring that other stuff up to obscure the message of Jesus Christ. That is the peacemaker. Now, I know some of you are saying, I have a hard time with that. That's a hard price to pay. How do I get past the fact that I don't even get where they're coming from? Got to come back next week. And we're going to look at the path peacemaking. What actually happens in my heart to get me to be the kind of person who has that banner so high that I can get over my disagreements? And it's really hard because I've been super politically opinionated in my past. 
I was one of those ones after a certain president became president uh, that I was looking at real estate in Canada. I was like, I, I can't do this. This No, no, no. And, and I, I know. But God has taken me to a place to see his gospel as so precious that it is the only answer that I will not waste my breath on the other stuff because that doesn't answer what people really need. And you could take any of the ideologies or philosophies or agendas that anyone has, and if you were to enact whatever they wanted 100% and made it happen, their hearts of people would be no closer to peace than it was before, even if their outward surroundings were better, even if they had more money, even if they had more opportunity. They would just be a happier sinner headed for a crisis eternity. It wouldn't matter. But it matters when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd rather be a poor beggar and totally oppressed in this world and have Jesus Christ in my heart and know him. And that knowing that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we will share one day. May we not lose the, the essential message of Jesus Christ and the glory of the gospel for the sake of what the world thinks is going to solve the problem. May the church of Jesus Christ be filled with peacemakers. Next week, we're going to pick up with the placement of peacemaking again. And look at the progression that a heart goes through to become a peaceful, peacemaking believer, unified in the church of Jesus Christ. But I guess if I were to ask you today, the big question is, what is your banner? How big is the gospel message to you? Is it so significant that you will dedicate every breath that you have, every opportunity that you have to put that message out long before you'll enter into the dialogue of all of the ideas and parties and clubs that are down there? Maybe you find yourself in the club mentality right now. I'm not talking about clubbing and drinking. I'm talking about only wanting to be with people who see things the way you do and agree with you. And if it's Beyond that, you find it hard to be at peace with brothers who disagree. Stay tuned and listen in. But look at your banner. Is your opinion and your understanding so big and so high that you just can't get past that and commit your heart and mind to the loving, peacemaking gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a hard, hard place to be because our human hearts want to embrace and, and elevate the way we think and believe. Jesus has brought a new way. He's given us a new heart. We're going to close uh, singing. Brian's going to come back in a second. We're just going to have a word of prayer. Uh, is he worthy? Is he worthy of that kind of devotion? And the song echoes, he is worthy of all that we have. Father, I pray that you will forgive your church for the bickering and the fighting and dividing that it does. So often, the picture that we put out to the world is no different than the world itself. Father, may we be committed to the gospel message of death, burial, resurrection of your son as our banner, and that no lower banner will ever obscure the testimony of your church when it comes to your son. 
Father, our world desperately needs Christians to be on their knees praying for a peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.